Hello, everyone. This is Shakita Slater of the Wild, Weird, and Witchy Podcast, and this is episode 82. And in this episode, I'm going to be discussing Tokyo Demon Bride Story chapters 15 through 29. I am very sad that the manga is finished because I really enjoyed this one a good bit. Uh, another thing, I'm going to be talking about the Aries New Moon, the Solar Eclipse. Ruby Volume 9, I'm going to give her a little review on that. And the spring anime on what is on my rotation for this season. And I'm going to start with that one first. So for me, I've been kind of, you know, keeping myself from, you know, watching too much anime, too little anime. But my rotation as of now. For the spring anime and what I'm watching this season is Ranking of Kings. Um, I'm waiting on that Psychopaths movie, uh, Providence. But this coming out in Japan. Uh, Hell's Paradise, My Home Hero, Tony Kawa, or Tony Kawa, Konosuba, Tokyo Mew Mew, Mashal, Demon Slayer, and there's two more that got added on to my rotation. And <clears throat> it's an anime called Oshinoko. And Dead Mount Death Play. Along with uh, my love story. No, not my love story. <laughs> I'm at the Loving Yamada at level 999. Along with Eden Zero. And there was another one that was on my rotation. Oh, damn. Oh, so far. Oh, yeah, it's Skip and Loafer. Skip and Loafer is so wholesome. Y'all, go, please go watch that. I don't want to do too much on a review on it, but let's just say that most of them have blew me away. But only a good bit are on my rotation. So Loving Yamada at level 999 is on it. Eden Zero. Oh, there it was another one. Heavenly Delusion. Heavenly Delusion is on my rotation as well. Uh, my Home Hero, after two episodes, I was already drawn in. Love it. Um, I haven't really got too far on Dr. Stone. I think I'm going to restart that anime before I actually come into like the third, you know, the third season and everything. Uh, the Ancient Magus Bride season two. I haven't really gotten into that one yet, but I think after I'm pretty much caught up with a good bit, I'll probably, I might do that one as well, like how I'm going to restart Dr. Soon. I might restart the Ancient Magus Bride as well before I get, you know, before I dive deep into the second season. But that's pretty much what's on my rotation anime-wise. So, I'm, so far they're all, like, really good. So far, and right now, Demon Slayer for me. Uh, so it's three episodes, and I already love it. I'm starting to like this new season. 
already. But if you've read the Demon Slayer manga, you already know what's gonna happen. So yeah, I'm not gonna spoil shit for y'all. Mm. That is good coffee. But that is it on my spring anime and what's on my rotation. That's basically my list. Uh, that's on my rotation. Now that Ruby Volume 9 has already finished, and speaking of Ruby Volume 9, I want to do that review next up. So, pretty much everyone's in the Ever After It's given like it's a big, it's pretty much of an Alice in Wonderland vibe. If you looked at the Disney animated Alice in Wonderland and you see Ruby, then you know what you know the vibe it's giving. So basically, like kind of, so the episode basically started off that you know. Everybody was fighting and like basically the finale of volume eight, how they're all trying to get out. Cinder's there with both relics. Neo is fighting Ruby midair. Jean falls, everyone's falling, everyone's just fell. So you know, Ruby wakes up from falling. She wakes up on this little beach. She meets Little. You know, Blake and Weiss are together. So basically, everyone's reuniting. And so Team Ruby is pretty much reuniting in this first episode. So we found Yang. She's fighting a Jabberwocker. They go to fight a Jabberwocker. The opening... Like, at basically the end, the opening music is fantastic. I just want to give a hand claps to Casey. Her vocals are just toughening out volume by volume. I am proud of this fact. Mm. Episode 2. They look for Yang's arm because Jinxie, the talking raccoon, took it. And it's so funny because in the episode, Blake had lost her gamble shroud, and it's on this plant, and, you know, a whole bunch of mice captures uh, her and Weiss, and this is the first episode, and, but I'll get back to the second one. And it, it's crazy, but basically, episode one is basically Team Ruby reuniting. Episode two, they go look for Yang's arm. Ruby is still trying to deal with the fact that Penny died, and this is the actual time that Penny died, and she's dead, dead. I'm talking, she's deceased, unalive, flatlined, dead. That, and Ruby couldn't fathom that. So, Weiss is basically talking about what went down in Atlas because she hasn't fell yet. So her, it was just basically her and Jean at the end of Volume 8. So Weiss was pretty much there when pretty much everything, the aftermath took place. So 
now that winter is the new winter maiden, you know, my sister is the winter maiden now. So everybody's out safely, thank God. And again, Ruby falls out. She's trying to, again, process all of it. Now, what to do while they're there in the ever after and what's going on in the actual world and where is everybody at? But we'll get back to that. They're dealing with the Red Prince. They're playing chessmate. Pretty much like checkers, but kind of like a little bit of checkers and chess. So chessmate. They meet the curious cat. And yeah, it, it's crazy when you really think about it. It's really dumb when you really think about it. And they meet the curious cat because, you know, it's the prince's birthday. And I like how in this episode as well, because it's the red prince, but it kind of reminds you of the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. And when the her, the henchmen, the guards do something completely, completely wrong, my bad, they, you know, she yells off with their heads. But in this one, we don't really see in the movie that they got their heads chopped off. In this episode of Ruby, in this episode of Ruby, we see that the guards, you know, brought the prince a green sword. And he was like, why is it green? Like, it's green. And he's just like, off with their heads. And then the two guards get drug away. And then they get put in this little, like, behind-the-scene bush thing, and then you hear a chop. You hear nothing like, chop! And it, it, it's crazy. It was so lovely. Wow, this is supposed to be, like, a child, not even a child-friendly show? What? So that happens. And... Uh, he disposed of the sword, and Ruby was kind of, like, upset. And, again, Weiss is so done with the Ever After, and it was so crazy. And then they had a comic with her cussing up a storm, like, every little thing is pretty much accurate. And then the fight scene on the checker table, the song playing in the background is also good. We're gonna get that in the soundtrack. I'm so excited. And the footage she moved with Yang using a broadsword along with Weiss and Blake's help, and it's just awesome. And, you know, Curious Cat comes, they escape the Red Prince's, you know, castle, and they figure out their move from there. At the end of the episode, we see Neo. Neo is actually there in the Ever After. But she's in like a darker spot of the Ever After. And she was quite surprised to see herself multiply. She used a Shadow Clone Jutsu. Crazy. And also transformed into Cinder and Ruby. Let's just say she still has an mass grudge against them both. Because Ruby killed... No, because basically Neil's pissed at both Cinder and Ruby for several things cinder backstabbed neo she she backstabbed neo 
Ruby basically killed Torchwick. And Torchwick is basically, you know, Neo's friend. I don't know their, their relationship, but they were kind of close. And Neo and Torchwick were like peanut butter and jelly at the time in the early volumes of Ruby. So she's still angry that Torchwick was killed, you know, because of Ruby. So she still got that grudge against them both. And Neo and Ruby do have that face-to-face. -face. So, you know. So episode 3 was pretty decent. And then we're going to come to episode 4. Which was my one of my favorite episodes. So, you know, because Ruby and the gang are looking for the curious cat, mind you. Oh yeah, and episode 3, they ended up turning they were still tiny from episode three so i forgot to mention sorry notes so yang blake and weiss are still small in this episode and ruby desperately wants to go to the tree to try to get them back home so the herbalist reminds me of that caterpillar that was on the hookah of alice in wonderland so you know exactly who i'm talking about so you know this cloud of smoke is basically their individually past selves. Um, they're confronted by their past selves. Weiss, Blake, and Yang stand firm and refuse of visions offers to change who they are. However, Ruby failed when reminded of both her and her mother's failing her failures to stop Salem. Mind you, back in the actual world, Salem is still wreaking havoc. So we don't know what's going down there, but, you know, I can't wait for Volume 10 to actually come up and everything else so we get to see that. But I'll get to that in, you know, after this episode. So the curious cat comes and he breaks Team Ruby from the trances that was put on them. Good thing he showed up. So... This episode basically concluded that with the cat snapping the girls from their trance and the herbalist disappearing through the floor. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Episode 5, you know, they go to the carnival. Ruby once again finds one of Penny's swords in the blacksmith's shop. She also claims the emblem on her belt carries Mother's Promise, which implies is a reminder of Summer. We get to see that. So, Weiss, Blake, Yang, and the cat, along with, yeah, just some, go look for ingredients to help them get back to their taller selves. So, Ruby is going to look for the teapot lady, but she gets kind of knocked into the blacksmith's forge. So, Ruby sees visions in the blades of the weapons she looks at. She sees Penny and Penny's blade. Alex and a dagger implied to have, you know, belonged to Alex. And in a gun axe hanging on a wall, Ruby sees a, reflex a reflection of her mother. So after she gets knocked out of that, Ruby doesn't have the item that they need for the parfait that they need to have. So they find, you know, they go look for the teapot lady. They find the teapot lady and everything. So Jabberwockers are coming in. They have to make the parfait as quickly as they can. And the Jabberwockers between Team Ruby and the parfait and backs them into a corner with no way out. 
it, it, it's a fight scene that goes along with it, but everybody had to leave. That was in the carnival. They had to leave because, you know, Jabberwockers were there. So the rusted knight comes, charges in, and rams the Jabberwocker with his steed, rescuing the team. Uh, yeah, the job, and mind you, the rusted knight was Jean, but he has like longer hair and a beard. Crazy. Jabberwockers were always like, were already known to talk. So the one that Team Ruby defeated was actually a clone made by Neo, aka Neopolitan, whose illusions were pretty much have never made sounds before, but yeah, it's crazy. Because like early on in the episode, the Jabberwockers were talking, like that one Jabberwocker was talking. So you didn't really understand what was going on because, you know, everyone's just confused about what's going on in the after. So after all that went down, after everything was said and done, Blake is ecstatic to see who the Rusted Knight is in action, and even more so to actually meet him after seeing him in action. You know, her glee, her reaction <laughs> after she saw who he was, she was so shocked, and you know, her glee turned to shock when the mask and with the with the knight unmasked himself is actually was Jean, and he named his rabbit Juniper his steed Juniper after his old team. I need I need Nora and Ren and Jean to have a nice reaction when they get when they see each other. So after all that was said and done, episode six was my second favorite episode and why? Why? Because I'm a Bumblebee fan for life. Bumblebee stands we won in this episode. Blake and Yang were so cute in this one. Jean was not fucking with the curious cat at all after finding out some new information regarding Alex and Lewis. So the cat, you know, got accused by Team Ruby using him for information, prompting them to say both Team Ruby and Alex used him for the same. So pretty much at the end of that, like basically at the end of that episode, the curious cat says that humans just use them for information only to portray them in the end. So the cat stops helping them and let them figure out their situation personally. We get this whole story about Alex and Lewis, plus, you know, all the other stuff. Then, you know, the thunderstorm. It's like a thunderstorm that creates a visual puns. A physical representation of emotional and mental problems the people caught in it are suffering from. And the only way out of such storms is to solve the problem or wait for the storm to pass. So when the cat actually mentioned, you know, a crossroads, the thunderstorm transformed into a portal crossroad world that forces Ruby and Noise to choose between Sean and a cat, but Blake and Yang find themselves on two swinging bridges. That bring them closer together as they admit their feelings. So this fairy tale is supposed to end. Supposed to have been written by Alex about her experiences in the Ever After. And how she learned to become a better person according to John. 
Alex became more selfish and cruel, sacrificed her brother's life to secure her own return home. And omitted him from the story, you know, omitted him from her story to make herself look better. So, basically, Alex was just shitty, is all hell. At at this time, we see that Alex is just shitty. Louis was never mentioned in the fairy tale, and it's great to see Jean again as he explains what has happened to him when he fell in the ever after in dealing with some trauma. And also in the plunderstorms when they were walking, because you see these mirrors, you see Ruby walking by, but you don't see Ruby in the mirror. You see a reflection of Summer, her mother. I was like, what? It is so great that we're getting a lot more on Summer in this up, like in this volume. It's like I didn't even know about Summer at all with the previous volumes. You got to know like bits and pieces, but to actually see what went down with Summer in this volume, ugh. Oh. My coffee's good as hell, y'all. I made a really nice good cup of coffee today. So, Blake and Yang, we get our relationship. They, Team Bumblebee stands, we won. But that kind of got a little bit short-lived because Ruby went off in the next episode. Ruby hat went off, but I'm kind of glad she did have, I'm kind of glad Ruby kind of went off, and then when Ruby went off, Jean unloaded the clip with what he said to Ruby as well, because he was out of line, but technically he wasn't really wrong. He was like, the Jabberwock, like Neo's after you. Everything happened because of you, because you had a shitty ass plan and all that crap. She goes over to Blake and she's like, oh, let's just stay positive, right? Because, oh, I'm just, we're just so happy for you. So it's like, she didn't have to do Blake. Like, y'all did not have to do my daughter Blake like this. And I, and I will not stand for this. I will not stand for that at all. And one thing you ain't going to do. She gonna step for Blake and Weiss, watching all of this mess unfold. Ruby went off on everybody, and then, and then told Blake to shut up, because Blake was just being positive through all of it. Because you know, every again, everybody is still confused on what to do. You don't got new word information about Alex and Lewis. You don't got, you know, the cat left. So what was you gonna do? Then you got the pa- the paper pleasers. You know they're living origami stars, and they're just as fragile and vulnerable as normal paper. But they are so cute. So Jean's care for the paper the paper pleasers is genuine and very sweet. You know, based in his own desire to protect someone. So Jean, Weiss, Weiss Blake, and Yang rush into battle with the Jabberwockers without any kind of plan whatsoever. Yang and Blake are perfectly in sync on how they double-team their opponents. Weiss and Jean adapt to each other's moves as well, whereas Ruby just looks stunned, even though she just got her Crescent Rose back. 
but she was just like froze up right when you know the walkers attacked so seeing cinder and then the possessed penny and salem instead of the beast i'm like god damn you neo god damn you to hell Hold on, someone just texted me, and I do not know why. <clears throat> so, you know, her friends encourage her to fight the Jabberwockers, but after a flashback leaves her frozen during the fight, and John angrily called her out for it, only catching on to her problems when she flinches away from that, you know, the Crescent Rose where he tossed it to her. So it gets wild after the village got destroyed. Ruby has her breakdown. And again, Sean, again, retaliated. And daggers were thrown, verbally speaking. So Ruby called out everybody for not caring about her needs. Because, you know, she's the leader. Which causes a frustrated Jean to blame her for Atlas's destruction, the relic of creation's loss, and everyone falling into the ever after. And he then tried to apologize. But you can't change what you said. You know. So she leaves her teammates and Jean behind. Little went with her. And it was really sad that, you know, they were all left stunned and everything else. So Ruby left. She ends up all alone. She yells at Little. She takes her frustrations out on Little, and Little didn't even do anything. Ruby winds up at this little tea party hosted by Neo, and it was so good to see cameos from Pyrrha, Ozpin, uh, Clover, Lock, uh, not Lockwood, but, uh, yeah, that, that dude that I did not like. I, I did not fuck with him at all whatsoever oh yeah and torchwick oh yeah ironwood torchwick and penny so it was good to see them and that old guy that was in um not was it mr was it mr yeah that old guy that that basically double crossed uh crow in volume five six i believe and, you know, they're beating Ruby's ass, even though Ruby's hallucinating. And the curious cat shows up to rescue Ruby from Neil, but only because manipulation played a really big game here. And this episode was a trigger warning, a trigger warning pretty much because, you know, Ruby kind of unalived herself, but she didn't really die, die. So manipulation played a really big game here, and a curious cat possessing Ruby. It was so crazy. And you know, after Neo finally unalives Ruby, but she's not dead. dead. After Ruby drunk the tea, she's left frozen in shock. This was Neo after she did what she did to Ruby. She was frozen in shock and the house she built with her semblance starts crumbling around her. But apparently the curious cat got some kind of beef with Neo. As it takes over her body. So basically in conclusion, Little got unalived, stepped on by Neo. 
Blake, Yseng, Jean arrive just in time to watch Ruby drink the tea, but are too late as they watch what happens afterwards. It felt weird not seeing Ruby with her friends, especially in episode 9. But, you know, they'll be there ready for the next version of her for when she reunites with them. Because when they got into this little wooded area, they see Ruby kind of, you know, a statued version of Ruby, you know, covered by the, like, colorful leaves. And she's just kind of, like, frozen. So, you see Ruby in a completely different place, but Ruby's not dead. So, just to let y'all know, she is not dead. Hey, my phone. And the curious cat is now taking over Neo's body, and he's trying to get out of the portal that is pretty much a way out of Ever After, and they're not leaving without Ruby. They're, they're not going nowhere without their girl. The curious cat was dead wrong in this scenario for showing Penny and Pira while fighting Jean. And then, you know, he kind of, kind of hit Jean, you know, as Pira, you know, hallucinations and everything. And it was so crazy. So Jean fell somewhere else. Ruby is in a completely different area with the blacksmith that she saw in a couple episodes ago with all these different weapons. And then at the end of the episode, she sees her mother's weapon in a glass case. And then it cuts off from there. So in conclusion to this one, I thought she was getting a new weapon. The curious cat and with Neo kind of combination is scary as hell. And then I heard a piano version of Red Like Roses in the background where Ruby was still in that room filled with all the weapons in a glass case. So I was like thinking the whole time, Ruby getting a new weapon would be crazy though. So the finale for Volume 9. Ruby finds out some things about her mom by touching her weapon in that glass case. So only Raven knew. So pretty much only Raven knew where Summer went because Raven went with her. It was a mission based on Raven and Summer and they both went on that said mission. Ruby has her rebirth and she finds herself reuniting with the team and Jean... Red Leg Roses plays, part three plays it, ugh, loved it. To defeat the Curious Cat, and Jean's idea of burning the leaves was smart as well, because it doesn't affect the cat, but it did have an effect on Neo, as her and the cat basically separated. So the Curious Cat gets eaten by the Jabberwockers, Neo, you know, helps out Team Ruby by getting the Jabberwockers to eat the Curious Cat. So the same place that Ruby went after, you know, she unalived herself, but she found herself in a different thing. She's not dead, but they're in, like, a different place. So 
Neo leaves to go through the same process as Ruby did to go, you know, to find herself. And I love that moment. This was a really sad moment, too, for me, because I love that moment between her and Roman. It was just so cute, but yet sad. Because, again, Roman was the only person that Neo could be with. That could, you know, she could confide in and everything. And now that he's dead, he's not there with her anymore. It's like, what is Neo's purpose now? Why is she even there? Is what she's thinking. But I seriously think this will be the last time we do see Neo. I hope she comes back in volume 10 and get revenge on Cinder because she didn't have to do old girl like that. And honestly, I'm rooting for Neo in this case as well. Oh. So Team Ruby and Jean leave through the portal. They leave through the portal. They go and they see this blacksmith, same blacksmith that comes up, and she basically confirmed what actually happened to Alex. And the two gods of destruction and creation came from the Ever After, and that the door is always open for them, so they can just basically come and go as they please. Jean turns back into his regular self, blah blah. <laughs> and he's so happy. I'm so happy that he got to be back to his regular self. So to cut this off, to end this review, so the next portal, the next portal, sorry, that opened up, and they arrive in vacuo. So hence, in the background, it's the orchestral score of "This Will Be the Day" uh, that was playing in Volume One. But this was a very orchestral score of This Will Be The Day, so that plays in the background. I enjoyed this volume so, 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 so much. I did. I'm ready for volume 10. They're in vacuo now. What's going to happen? I am going to be crying when Crow, Yang, and Ruby reunite. I'm going to be crying when Weiss and... Uh, Winter reunite. I'm gonna be crying when John reunites with his teammates. I'm gonna cry so much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry a lot. I, I really am. So I'm happy that you know Ruby. You know this was a very enjoyable, enjoyable volume. Like anybody can say whatever. Like many people didn't like it. But I'm not them. I enjoyed it a good bit. And I love it. So that's it for Ruby. I don't know what's going to happen for Volume 10. I'm excited for Volume 10. Mm. But hey, it might come in maybe a couple months. It might be a year till we get that. But hopefully, hopefully we'll get something. So the next review that I'm doing, and I cannot believe this manga ended, y'all, I'm mad as heck. I am so angry that this manga ended and I loved it so much. And it's Tokyo Demon Bride Story. I'm gonna just kind of like do a short review on this because I got about a couple more minutes uh, on my time frame to do uh, this podcast and do more uh, chores on my apartment. 
So in chapters 15 through basically 17, uh, the, Usukawa, the Usukawa Bunny Sisters come up into the scene. You know, Jenta, Manaka, you know, and their sister Matsuri, you know, reminisce, all that stuff. Kuroru and Sumugi are shopping. Usukawa's sisters are talking to Kuroru and Sumugi, but they overhear them. Tanukio is on vacation in the human world and talks to Manaka that, you know, the spirits are entering the human world. Mitsuri calls Jinta to come together because she got lost. And it's also New Year's in this chapter, so, you know, the Humurunagi is only limited, like, no, the Humurunagi is for the sacred bloods. But it actually turned into a bat because Jinta was knocking bitches out out with this one and it packs a punch let me tell you so they're fighting the Usakawa bunny sisters in these two chapters these three chapters and you know Jensen's sister gets a job I guess she reminisces all that cute stuff at the end of the chapter for 15 Masuri goes missing but it was technically a, a, a bunny, Usakawa bunny, one of the four, that pretty much, you know, took over a sister's body, but basically copycatted her. But, you know, they're, you know, Missouri is actually being held hostage elsewhere. So, and it's so crazy because, you know, they're fighting. Jinta wins. You know, Jenta's sacred blood begins to awaken the Humoronagi. Kuroru fights. Miyako comes to the rescue. The anomaly occurred between the other world and the human world once every several hundred years. And, you know, Minaka comes to the rescue. Jenta and them um, fight those Kawabani sisters and actually wins. Jenta also. Jenta, Minaka, Kuroru, Miyako. Go take a break, relax, all that good stuff after fighting. Jensen and the girls go to a ramen shop. So, and yeah, that ramen shop is kind of off. Kind of? So, Jensen, Miyaku, and Minaka are passed out after eating the ramen. Kuroru has to fight the monster. It was so gross. He somewhat poisoned the ramen. I'm like, I would never. So Kuroru is fending off the villain as much as she can. Jenta is awake and saves Kuroru. Kaido comes and saves everyone and kills the monsters. She's scary as fuck. You know, scary as fuck. She's also there on a mission, but to also recruit Jenta into the Saishi. You know, Kaido, Kaido kisses Jenta, well, you know, technically stole a kiss, and trying to control his mind, shame on, shame on her. Minaka didn't like that so much. So, Jenta and Minaka go with Kaido on a mission, and if they pass that mission, Kaido would leave into the Chuo district. And then you got Fishman, so you get to fight the Fishman and everything. And also, side note, 
with these later chapters, I love how much closer Monaka and Jetsu have gotten ever since fighting together. Now that they, you know, have to fight Fishman Chief, Kaido having a Usakawi sister in her head, like, uh, yeah, having a- This was the one that pissed me off so bad, because why the fuck would you have a head in your briefcase of the villain that they were fighting just a couple of chapters back? But you weren't there for it. That was some sick work. That was sick work. Kaido tells Monaka that whoever hired Tsunukio and Usakawa sisters wanted Monaka, no name, was actually mentioned. But Monaka looks shocked when Kaido tells her that this person wants Monaka back in the other world. But she doesn't tell Jensa that. So Kaido calls Jensa and tells him that there's another spirit near his home. Monaka dressed up like a schoolgirl and investigating the school. Weird person yells in the hallway. The skeleton is human. Yeah, soul of a dead person in a skeleton. Like in a skeleton. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, Hitodama, Hitodama is a basically a manifested thing. Why is everybody calling my phone today? I am unavailable. <laughs> Manifested as a ball of fire, it can do, you know, whatever. Kaido uses uh, Hidodama, but Kaido wasn't technically in this chapter. So, as puppets, and merges with them. Oh, and new Chainsaw Man is out. Let's go. You know, the skeleton, the soul of that person that's in the skeleton he actually died in an accident in his first year of high school and that sucked that really sucks hearing his backstory really sucked it was a hit and run accident about three years ago and before the you know before the sports festival so he's trying to you know fulfill his wish dancing with the girl you know dancing with girls to talk you know to folk music so he can peacefully pass on to the other side and that was so sweet. That was so sad, too. He had a crush on this one girl with long hair, and it hurt him seeing her with a boyfriend. So, you know, demon-like mailman brings a letter to Monaka, and it's from her auntie. Mm, a shame. So, yeah, the skeleton person is no longer a skeleton. The spirit of the boy that died, he was about 15. You know, the spirit of the boy that had died from a hit and run accident, he peacefully passed on. And we're gonna basically kind of continue on, because these are just random notes of what happened in the manga later on. So basically, I don't want to get too far into it, because I want to make this short as much as I can before I do that review for the Aries and Moon. Manaka asked Jinta to go Har you know, go to Harajuku and they end up going. Kuroru was working on a job but got fired. My poor baby. Manaka tries on clothes, bless her sweetheart. And she looked a hot mess. She does, she looked a hot mess. But Jinta finds this really cute shirt blouse and it was so cute. And he ended up paying half. And of course he complained about paying half. Let's see, Kuroru bumped into Jinta and Minaka. Miyako also got fired. She got bullied by her boss. <clears throat> they all have a nice lunch. Miyako asked Jinta that he and Minaka are getting along. 
Miyako also tells Genta that Manaka also grew up in a family that's terrible. Genta having feelings for her? Mm? Because at this time, Manaka was an only child. You know, her parents pretty much, you know, her dad abandoned her, her mother died. In the same case for Genta, his father died. But their mother abandoned them. So Jinta only had Samugi and Matsuri. You know, those are his sisters, half siblings, technically. But Manaka had nobody. She had no siblings. And it's like after Jinta hearing that, it kind of made him realize oh, snap. She's just like me for real. So, Manaka shows off the new skirt Matsuri gave to her, and Genta actually likes it, but the next day, she disappeared. Miyako gets answers from the cats. You know, Genta is looking for her. You know, he gets worried and everything. And Miyako gets answers from the cats about what happened. Uh, the Shuten Murahara, Manaka's family name... And it's like, this is like some Romeo and Juliet type shit because her demon aunt, who's actually the demon queen, doesn't want Manaka to shack up with a human. And demons and humans are not allowed to, like, have any intimate relationship, none whatsoever. You know, Manaka violated a rule that she can't have an intimate relationship with humans. So Kaido's servant tells Jinta that. Jinta about to go save Manaka. He's about to go save his baby. Let's go. Hororu is also on board with Jenta to rescue Manaka, but he packs up. Samugi remain, you know, reminds him to take care and worry about himself. You know, their dad died, but their mom ran off and abandoned him. Just like I said from before. Miyako is also joining them to go rescue. Manaka. So they arrive at the Shuten Murahara. Well, the outskirts of it. They have to get to the castle and fight some evil spirits along the way. They avoid the savage spirits. Jenta is fighting the chief guard, Kandata. As Kuroru and Miyako try to flee, but Kandata stops his attack and helps them rescue Manaka because Manaka helped him for so long um, ahead of time because Manaka wasn't really like an evil demon, a princess. You know, un understand like the four past 14 chapters that I've did, uh, Manaka is a demon princess, but she wasn't a mean demon princess. She wanted to help people. Kandata also hides their identity and takes them back to his home. He tells the story of Manaka and, you know, her aunt, etc. Manaka became a free spirit, declined suitors, and ran off to the human world is where, you know, the demon queen heard that she was staying with Jenta, and she went insane, and that's why the spirits came after Jenta to the human world. Mm, shame. So, Kandata was also abandoned and half-dead, infected by the plague. Manaka helped save everyone, and the village was totally rebuilt. She's such a sweetie. I love her. She's my daughter, girl. 
They also go to infiltrate the castle because the queen and soldiers were gone, but they weren't technically gone. They get caught, and they meet the aunts. <clears throat> Monaco is also safe, but at what cost? The demon queen is crazy because she wants Jenta to cut off three of his fingers and or gouge out one of his eyes. That's ridiculous. I would not know. No. So Jenta tried to cut off all three of his fingers, but the queen is also impressed. She was testing him to see, mind you, she was testing his ass. To see if he was worthy of protecting Monaco. You know, they go to eat. They do all this other talking. And, you know, blah, blah. They have to go home now. Because it's Miggy. And Mitsuri are really happy to see them. So, coming into... Monaco goes to school. Tanukio is also at the same school as Monaco and Jenta. But Monaka and Jinsa leave to go to Adaiba to celebrate Matsuri's new job. Immortal spirits bent on devouring the entire human world. Oh, also Kaido was there in chapters 28 and 29. <laughs> and I'm really mad this freaking manga ended. Yo, I'm so pissed because I really enjoyed it a lot. I really did enjoy it a lot. Current, uh, Princess Kurubiru was the demon, the immortal spirit, who was hell-bent on devouring the human, the entire human world. So, appeared about 800 years ago, and the human world was nearly destroyed because of that bitch. Like, everybody would have been dead. Everybody would have been dead. And who was going to save everyone? Who? Exactly. The Homoronagi is the only one weapon that can contain the princess. A man of sacred blood used it to seal her underground 800 years ago. And that bitch trying to come back now? What? Bro, no! Also, a, de a demon appears from under the water. I thought it was her, but it was like, nah, it wasn't her. So... Jenta and Monaka see it, you know, they're trying to fight it. Jenta fell into the ocean and Monaka saves him. Tsunukio and Kaido comes to help, but Monaka and Jenta have like they flee and meets up with Sumugi and Matsuri with matching outfits, and it was so cute. Jenta reflects back on his life when, you know, reflects back on his life before Monaka came into it and after when Monaka came into it. And she reassures him and for the first time throughout this entire manga, coming up into the end, he actually smiles and I was like totally crying. And we see Kuro's cousins come into the human world. So this manga was really cute. Not everybody is going to like, you know, everything, and that's okay. But I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm I'm really sad that it ended. I really am sad that it ended. Because I want it more. I want it more. And I'm grateful that, you know, Tadaichi got it.
together. But, you know, I want more mangas like this. I want more... I want more, you know, cutesy, sweet mangas like this, uh, stories like this, but not everybody's going to want it, and that's okay. <clears throat> but we're going to coincide with that review. I loved it. I hope you guys like it. I hope you guys read it. It's uh, available on the Manga Plus app and the, I, think, I believe, Shonen Jump as well. Uh, the and the manga is called Tokyo Demon Bride Story, and I hope you guys read it. Check it out. It's only twenty nine chapters, and just let me know what you think. And to conclude, to conclude this lasting, lasting episode, I'm gonna start off talking about the Aries, the second Aries new moon, and also the solar eclipse. Aries is a sign that you can completely get behind, symbolizing independence, courage, idealism. You may feel inspired to say or do something that sets you apart from the pack. Seldomly are you afraid to go for it alone, despite being such a community-driven sign. So if that's the road presented to you now, take it. Trust that whoever follow trust whoever <laughs> trust that whoever follows is meant to come along for the right. Your sign is most well known for your ability to take in information and share it in an inspiring and intelligent way. And this could be a theme for the eclipse. If coaching or teaching has been on your radar for a while, this would be an excellent time to set those wheels in motion. Remember, you are able to embody this archetype in any situation, not just in a professional one. The world needs more of your unique brand of wisdom. Trust yourself when everything is unclear, anything is possible. So brace yourself for significant shifts and disruptions all around you. I hope this episode was really good for you all. I finally got this up. Yay, I have to redo. And that is okay. I took notes. I took notes this time. So what's on your spring anime list? Let's talk. What's on your spring anime list? What are you reading? What are you watching? You know, go take breaks when needed. I love you all so much, and thank you. I'll be back here Thursday. I put a new schedule up, and I am ashamed that I'm not going to follow through with it. Damn it. <laughs> I put a new schedule up for the week. Um, so the next time I will be back on here will be, you know, to review. Yeah, it's Thursday, so I'll be back here Thursday to talk about a, uh, another mini-sode, and that's it. So... Stay witchy, stay weird, stay wild, stay magical, you guys, and stay awesome. I love you all so much. Bye-bye.